0: So who gives you the best advice? Like when you're a moment in your life where you're like, I need some good advice, who do you go to? Just get that person's face in mind right now. Or maybe you're the person that everybody else comes to for advice. You know who you are. You know, everyone's just always asking you, what do you think I should do? Or maybe maybe you've had this situation where you need some advice. And you go to three different people and they give you three different types of advice. What do you do? In this series, we are challenging ourselves with this idea What would life look like if we went to Jesus only for advice? So we didn't go to our friends. We didn't worry so much about what everyone else thought we should do because there's lots of advice out there. Some of it's great. Some of it's not so great. So in this series, we're considering what would it look like if I only went to Jesus for advice? I didn't worry about what others thought. If we didn't worry so much about what others thought, or even this. What if we didn't worry about what the whole Bible says, but we worried about the words of Jesus? We thought about the words of Jesus. Now, I'm a fan of the Bible. I'm a big fan of the Bible. The Bible has a lot of great things. But for this exercise, what if we only concerned ourselves with living the words of Jesus? How would our lives be different? How would we be different? How would the world be different? We're in the second week of our series that we're calling Red Letter Life. Many translations of the Bible have the words of Jesus printed in red letters. And that's where we got the title Red Letter Life. And it's called the Red Letter Edition of the Bible. The idea for the red letters, it came from... Um, A guy named Louis Klopsch, and he was the owner and editor of the Christian Herald magazine. And he published the first red letter edition of the Bible in 1899, so a long time ago. And the tradition still continues today. And in that first red-letter edition of the Bible, Klopps wrote this explanatory note in the front of the Bible saying why he, why he published a red-letter edition. He said this, Modern Christianity is striving zealously to draw near to the great founder of the faith. He's talking about Jesus. Setting aside mere human doctrines and theories regarding him, it presses close to the divine presence, to gather from his own lips, Jesus' own lips, the definition of his mission and to, to the world and his own revelation of who the Father is. The Red Letter Bible has been prepared and issued in full conviction that it will meet the needs of the student, the worker, and the searchers after truth. It's so interesting how he started that note with modern Christianity, and he wrote this in 1899. It's interesting that what was true in 1899 is still true today. As we strive to grow closer to Jesus, sometimes we need to set aside our human ideas of who Jesus is and gather our understanding of him straight from his own lips. And that is why we're doing this series called Red Letter Life to spend some time focusing on and organizing our lives around the words of Jesus. So today we're going to talk about some of my personal favorite words of Jesus in the entire New Testament of the Bible. Like these are some of my favorite. And they're my favorite because of the context of what what was going on when he said these words. So in order to understand the magnitude of these favorite words, we're going to look at the context of what was happening. And we'll read from John chapter 8. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the disciples were gathered around, all the people were gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus' teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And Jesus bent down, and he started to write in the ground with his finger, and they kept on questioning him, and he straightened up and he said to them, "Let anyone who is without, who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her." And then again, he stooped down and he rode in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. And the woman was still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And he said, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Since this is the Red Letter Life series, I'm just going to point out the words of Jesus in this passage. He says these four very simple things. In that long passage, only four things did Jesus say. Let anyone who is without sin throw the stone at her. Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Neither do I condemn you and now go and leave your life of sin. The words of Jesus that we are looking at today, um, they have led us to this big idea. Jesus' words call us to self-awareness. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they bring in a woman who is caught in the act of adultery. And they want to know if Jesus is going to follow the law and stone her, which means throw stones at her, ...until she dies. Can you imagine? But instead of answering their questions... ...Jesus asked them to examine themselves. He asked them not to judge someone else... ...but look at yourself. And then later he does the same thing with the woman. He says, now go and leave your life of sin. In other words... Look at yourself, go forward, and be changed. Twice in this passage, Jesus asked the individuals to not be judging others, but instead look at themselves. And this is called self-awareness. Jesus is clear that we need to examine ourselves long before we go about judging others. But here's what concerns me about myself, other followers of Jesus, other Christians at times. At times we are not really known for self-awareness. Sometimes we are known for arrogance and not humility. We're known for condemnation and not grace. And we're known for judgment and not self-examination. It seems that this is not just true for me and you at times, but it seems that it's been true for humanity for a really long time. We know this from these other red-letter words of Jesus in the book of Matthew in the Bible. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Over and over and over again, Jesus calls us to look at ourselves and this kind of self-awareness it results in humility, it results in grace, and it ultimately results in our freedom. When we look at the plank in our own eye, we become humble. The kind of humility that's attractive to others, the kind of humility that helps us point others to Jesus, they're attracted to Jesus in us. Check out these other words, also red letter words of Jesus from the book of Luke. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may, be, may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. This is why we have seating charts at weddings, people. So this embarrassment doesn't have to happen, right? But when you're invited, Jesus says, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move to a better place. Then you will be honored in the, in the presence of all the other guests. For, for those who will exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus reminds us over and over not to put ourselves in the position of higher honor, but instead to honor others above ourselves. When we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled, and if we humble ourselves, we can be exalted. I'm reminded of that time in my life when I knew so much about parenting, You know that time when you're like 20 years old and you've taken a five-minute class on child development in college and suddenly you're an expert on parenting and your older siblings already have kids and so when you're hanging out at family gatherings, you're observing how they're parenting their children. And you're an expert. And so in your mind, you're saying, I would never do that when I have kids. If they would only do this, their kids would be more well-behaved. And you're just such an expert. And then you have your own kids. And then you have your own teenagers. And well, suddenly you're not really an expert anymore. I exalted myself. And now I'm humbled. When we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled every single time. Life has a way of humbling us, and it's a really beautiful thing. So Jesus's words, they call us to self-awareness that leads to our humility. And Jesus's words, they call us to self-awareness that leads to grace. This is what happened with the woman who was caught in adultery. This is exactly what happened in that moment. The moment when everyone was ready to condemn her, to stone her. In that moment, Jesus used just one sentence to help the teachers of the law and the Pharisees move from judgment to grace. And the sentence he used was this let anyone who is without sin be the first one to throw a stone at her. The teachers and the Pharisees, they were trying to get Jesus to answer their question. What do we do with her? Should we stone her as the law requires? And you might notice that Jesus did not answer their question. Instead, he knelt down to the ground, and he starts riding on the ground with his finger, which seems like such weird behavior. I think about that behavior when you're at the bus stop and all the adults are talking and the kids are bored and they just go start doodling in the dirt on the ground. That seems like kid behavior, not Jesus' behavior. But that's what he does. And I wonder sometimes what was he writing on the ground? Was he doodling, drawing hearts and stars? Or maybe sometimes I think he was writing down the actual sins of the people who were present. Like Thaddeus lying, James stealing, Thomas gossiping, Whatever he was doing, he was certainly not jumping first to words. He didn't answer them. He didn't jump to conversation. He slowed the whole interaction down, like he just slowed it down. And it says they continued to question him, and he just slowed it down. And he finally straightens up, and he says to them, If any of you is without sin... Let him be the first one to throw the stone at her. And then it says, again, he stoops down and he writes some more. He just says this one sentence, but this one sentence, it packs a huge punch. He's basically saying, look at yourself, look at your own stuff. Look in the mirror. Concern yourselves with your own sin. Be self-aware. And then they all left and nobody sown her. And she got grace that day. Not just from Jesus, but from everybody else as well. Their judgment was turned to grace when they considered that they themselves are also sinners. We have all sinned. And when we consider this, when we own this, when we accept this, when we're self-aware about this, we give to others what we so desperately need ourselves. And that's grace. So first, Jesus' words call us to self-awareness that leads to humility. Second, Jesus' words call us to self-awareness that leads to grace. And third, Jesus' words call us to self-awareness that leads to freedom. Over the years, I've talked to so many people about their spiritual journey. So many people about faith, about Jesus, about their relationship with God. And when people are just at the point of seriously considering their faith in Jesus, like putting their trust in Jesus, when they're at that point, there's usually two kinds of people. They fall in one camp or another camp. There's people who believe that they will never ever be good enough for Jesus to accept them. And then on the other side, there's people who believe that they are a good person. They're generally good. And so they don't really need Jesus. They don't really need a Savior. Both kinds of thinking, they have the same problem. And the problem is this. That kind of thinking makes a relationship with Jesus about us. And this is always a problem because we are not our way to a relationship with Jesus. We are not our way to a relationship with God. It's not about us or our condition. It is only about Jesus. This is where self awareness really matters in our relationship with Jesus. We understand Who we are. And when we really get that, we can see, accept, and receive the grace that we understand that we really need. We can accept it because we see ourselves for who we really are. When we think we're not good enough, when we're in this camp and we think we're not good enough, this is true. We will never measure up to the holiness of God. We need Jesus' death and resurrection to help us be righteous, to be in right relationship with God. And when we receive that gift, the gift of God's mercy through Jesus, we go from sinner to saint in an instant. We go from wrong to right. We go from sinful to righteous. On the other hand, if we find ourselves... In the second group, believing that we are generally good people and so we don't need a savior, this is the most dangerous place to be. We have failed to be self-aware. We have failed to see that we are sinful in our very nature so we can never reach God because we will never be fully good without him. Jesus' words to the teachers and the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery are the same. He said, look at yourself. He said, consider yourself. And then he says to the woman, look at yourself and go and sin no more. So be aware is what he's saying to both camps. And when we become acutely aware of our condition as a sinner, someone who has missed the mark of God, missed the mark of God's best for us, we are self-aware enough at that moment to accept Jesus and all that he has to offer us, his grace and his salvation. He saves us from our sin so that we can be in right relationship with God. Jesus said, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So when our self-awareness brings us to understand our need for a savior, and when we receive the gift of salvation from our sin, we are free. And that's the greatest gift of self-awareness. We become free. John records a conversation that Jesus was having with some Jews, those who would most likely have thought that they were good enough and did not need Jesus as a savior. And John recorded this conversation with these Jews because they, after all, they were the children of God. They were God's chosen people. They were a holy nation. They were the Israelites. Why would they need Jesus? And Jesus says to them, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? We're already free. And Jesus replies, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus' words call us to self-awareness. That leads to humility, grace, and my favorite, freedom. Which one of these is it for you today? Which one? Some of us are walking around full of arrogance, pointing out the sin of others and avoiding looking at the sin in our own life. And if that's you today, I would offer and recommend one simple prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Create in me a clean heart. Recognizing that there's stuff in here that Jesus came to redeem. And some of us are frustrated by those around us and their annoying habit of being human and how they mess up over and over. And we need to extend them the grace that we have received. And if that's you today, and you're wrestling with that, I would recommend this prayer for you. God, help me be a conduit of your grace to other people. Help me be able to extend that same grace to others. And then some of us are just now beginning to recognize our need for a Savior. That you cannot do it on your own. You need to find real freedom from the sin in your life and its consequences. And for those, I would recommend this prayer. Jesus, I receive you as my savior. These three prayers, pick one for you today and pray that prayer this day and throughout the week. Let's pray together right now. God, I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to impact us in such a way that changes everything that transforms us. God, I just pray these prayers for us today that you would create in us a clean heart, that we would recognize our own sin and offer it to you in forgiveness. And God, I just pray that we would be able to extend grace to those people around us because of the grace that we have received. And I pray, God, that we would, all of us, recognize our need for a savior and continue to find our way back to you. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.